Pastor Rob is going to come on up and share a sermon with us, and then after that we have communion. Thank you, Bernadette. Good to see you all. Thank you for making it out uh, today. Uh, next week we're going to start a new series uh, called Guardrails, and the big idea here is looking at uh, some of the protections God puts in our lives so that we can live a joyful and fulfilling lives. And so that'll be a shortish uh, series of a few weeks. But today I want to uh, finish out our series, uh, Radical Love, uh, Radical Results. And uh, I've titled this message, The Hardest Thing in the Bible. The hardest thing that the Bible asks us to do. And so, uh, and it is unquestionably very difficult. So let me just ask God to uh, just empower me as we, uh, as I both preach and as we respond to what are these incredibly difficult things sometimes that the Lord is asking us to do. Uh, Holy Spirit, I just invite your presence. I just ask, Lord, that you'd empower my preaching. Uh, Lord, I just pray for each person here. Everybody is coming uh, in a, from a different place. We all need you in one way or another. Lord, your love is great, and we need access to your love. And Lord, perhaps somebody trying to find out who you are or uh, experience your love uh, for the first time, uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, if you're saving people, uh, Lord, that you do that today. So, Lord, we just uh, lift up today's uh, message in your name, Jesus. Well, uh, the Bible uh, tells us uh, to love our enemies, to love our enemies. Now, there's no possible way that you can grasp that phrase and say, yeah, I'm, that's exciting. You know, let me put that up on my fridge. Uh, this is a verse I'm going to remember. You don't have to put it up in your fridge. I mean, the first time you ever heard that phrase, it's like, love my enemies. I mean, that's just like stuck with you because there's nothing in our personality or in our nature that wants to love our enemies. We want to kill our enemies. That's the normal response, not love them. Uh, so uh, let me just read uh, this uh, section, and I'm going to read out of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, there is a, a corresponding uh, section in, in Matthew, but I'm going to read this uh, section in, in, in Luke. So if you've got a Bible, uh, you might want to follow along with me. New Living Translation, Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Uh, Jesus speaking, and he says, But to you who are willing to listen, and uh, I like the way that starts off, because clearly Jesus is anticipating that not everybody's going to listen to this, and uh, not everybody's going to comprehend this, uh, or digest this or stomach this message. But he says, uh, Jesus says, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. I mean, like your hand is being rubbed up, uh, you know, against the grain of the wood, and you're just getting splinters. I mean, there's just like nothing comfortable about this. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Now that phrase we've remembered, and it's a very great phrase to remember, right? It's self-centered. It's like, okay, I want to be treated well, you know. And God says, yeah. Treat others just the way you want to be treated. If you love only those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if, you'd only, if you 
do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get, get credit? Even sinners will, lead, will lend to other sinners, ex, you know, expecting a full return. And then again in verse 35, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who, who are, are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Boy, it, it is just a word from God which uh, is helpful to us because it so uh, changes our normal, ordinary, everyday thinking. You know, we're very self-centered. We want to be blessed. We want the best great. And God is saying, yes, but you also need to be basically more like God. Uh, and you need to love and you need to be loving. Uh, the question that I want to just press in a little bit here is, who is your enemy? Uh, because it's easy for us to naturally go political and say, you know, our enemy is another country, another state. But, you know, most of us aren't running countries, and that's not really, uh, you know, what we've got to deal with from day to day. We have a lot of opinions on how we should run countries or how our governors or elected officials are running uh, our country. But, you know, who is your enemy? Uh, it, it could be a whole lot uh, difference. It could be if you're in the corporate culture, uh, you know, we'd say our, our competition, but often the way we treat our competition is really our enemy. You know, just like you ever in your same space or if you're in sport, it should be competitive. But often the way we treat our competitors is like they're the enemy. All that very well and good. But, you know, I want to get a little bit more personal. Uh, sometimes when we think about who's our enemy, it's a racist thing. You know, we look at people from a race racialistic standpoint and our country's still battling at this in this area and we treat people as our enemy because they look different to us or have different customs uh, and if you want to even get a little bit more like awkward or, or uncomfortable uh, who's our enemy uh, well when it comes to religion you know we'd say well the Muslims are our enemy or you know we don't have a lot of Buddhists in our part of the world. But I mean, in other parts of the world where you've got Muslims, Buddhists, Christians, I mean, it's just a lot of tension within uh, the religious spectrum. And, and we can look at people and say they are enemy. But even on a more personal note, you know, where it really hurts us, where we really battle is in family dynamics and friends and relationships, and particularly in relationships with people that are precious our friends in church, uh, our family connections. When we start treating people in our family, our personal family, our faith family, like they're the enemy, things go horribly wrong. And the big sort of idea that Jesus is telling us is he's saying the enemy is the enemy. And this is a huge help for us to comprehend how we can love somebody that's acting in a way which is reprehensible towards us. Uh, if we can grasp this concept of God, where God is saying, I love all people. I love everybody. I created everybody. I love them. It does not mean 
I love the way people are responding or acting. And it's helpful for us to say when somebody's you know, acting towards us in an unpleasant way, to somehow distinguish that the person is lovable. The way they're responding or their deeds or their actions might be very uncomfortable or unpleasant. Uh, and we need to you know, get God's heart. It's like, how do we have empathy? How do we have love? How do we have a way of loving our enemies or people that treat us like we're the enemy? And, you know, I want to uh, talk a little bit. I've been, Liz and I were in Spain on a missions trip recently, and one of the things which I'm always, I love about being in another country, another culture, is how people see things differently. So we had just landed in Portugal. I was uh, getting to know my friend who's uh, planting a vineyard church in Lisbon, and he asked me this question. He says, uh, what are you guys doing to celebrate the 500th year of the Reformation? And I thought about it for about one second. I said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> and he said to me, what? Now, you've got to understand, this guy's got no American background. He's never been in, I don't think he's ever been in America. So he's like, what? This is like a really big deal. And I'm thinking, well, maybe for you it's a big deal because you're in Portugal. Uh, you know, the, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation is October the 31st. Uh, you know, we're celebrating Halloween. I mean, that's like our big deal. You're like, Reformation? Like, what? So, you, again, not everybody in church is like church. So let me just take a second explain the Reformation. So the, the Catholic Church has its second major split being the Reformation. So depending whether you're Catholic or whether you're not Catholic, uh, you're going to have a different perspective on this uh, whole take. Uh, and again, I, I want to use some phraseology which seems to work here in Boston, uh, and it, it definitely works in Spain and Portugal, and that's this. When people talk about Christians in Spain and Portugal, they're talking about Protestants. They're not talking about Catholics. When Catholics refer to Protestants, they refer to them as Christians. When Christians refer to Catholics, they call them Catholic, which is sort of a strange thing for me because, you know, the Bible calls everybody who believes a Christian. But there's this distinction. So I'm going to use that, I think, artificial distinction, but it's the terminology that people are using. So if I say a Christian, I'm not trying to exclude Catholics. I'm trying to, like, use the the current uh, discussion. So the Reformation, uh, second biggest split in the Catholic history, the first split ended up in 1054 where the Orthodox uh, Church split out from the Catholic Church. So you got the Greek Orthodox Church and, and that's pretty much the predominant Christian religion, you know, in Egypt and around the Middle East and through Russia and, and uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, so faith in those areas would be uh, Orthodox. And then in 1500, uh, you've got the Protestant uh, breakout from the Catholic Church. And uh, the way this uh, took place in really bad, brief, quick summary, and I'm probably going to butcher it, uh, Please don't speak to me afterwards and say, Rob, you really did a terrible job. I, I'm telling you up front, I'm going to do a terrible job. Uh, but Martin Luther, the reformer, uh, has this 
real issue with the Protestant, with the Catholic Church. He is Catholic. He's a, you know, a Catholic priest. And the issue that's bothering him so much is the issue about indulgences. Now, what is indulgences? Indulgence is a way of getting to heaven by paying. So this was a great, you know, church and money. It's, a, it's always been a little bit of a problem. It gets a lot of abuse. Uh, and Martin Luther was saying, this is really not like good. Like we were asking people to pay a lot of money so that they can go to heaven. And he said, can we get back to sort of what the Bible says? And uh, he didn't mean to start a split, but his big idea was, can we focus on the Bible, on what the Bible says, and not focus so much on what, you know, tradition is telling us or what the Pope is telling us? And of course, this created a major, a major split. So, uh, you know, when we think about the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, you know, sitting here in America, we're like, yeah, okay, well, that's how church got started. We, we Protestants, so there's a lot of Protestant churches, whether you, you know, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Vineyard, or whatever, you know, it's like, we're not really thinking how this all got going, it's, it's just everyday life for us, not, a, not such a big deal. Well, sitting in Spain, uh, this was kind of like a big deal. And so uh, on the last day of our trip in Spain, there was this uh, uh, exhibition, uh, the Reformed, uh, La Reforma Protestanta, 500 años de testimonio, right? like a 500-year testimony of the Protestant um, uh, reform. And so uh, I was going through this uh, display, and with the help of my friend who's uh, was really, really helpful uh, explaining the, the Spanish and walked through the display. Uh, I got to the end of the display, and uh, by this point now I'm the expert because I've just gone through the display. And uh, at this point, two ladies come in, and they speak perfect English. And they speak to the guy that's sort of at the front door, having people come through the display, and uh, they're just not communicating. They don't speak Spanish. The guy doing it doesn't speak English, so I'm the expert. I go to the guy and say, look, I'll, I'll take these two girls. I'll explain everything to them. So I asked the girls, where are you from? They said, they're from Hungary. I said, so what do you know about the Protestant Reformation? They said, what is that? They know absolutely nothing about it. So I said, well, okay, here's why it's a big deal. Uh, you see where we're standing? We're in the city hall. This display is in the city hall of Sevilla, Seville. I said, you see the square that we're on? They look out the door, yep. Okay, 5,000 people were burnt at the cross right here. And this is still like a little bit of a prickly topic, to say the least, uh, for these people offering this display. Now, this inquisition only ended in like 1834. I mean, it's not like hundreds and thousands of years ago. It's like just recently this thing was finally terminated. Okay, so Jewish people and Protestant people were burnt at the stake in this, where we are, in, the, in, the, in the, this foyer. Now, if you've been to Spain, you will have been to that little, my bad picture in the back there, uh, is like sort of a very well-known building in Seville. This Plaza San Sebastian is well-known. You've got the Bank of uh, Andalusia in the back there, town hall this side, the a big church on that side. It's just a very well-known uh, place. Now, this lady who I'm with, she's a lawyer. She's uh, uh, dedicated her life to advancing the gospel from a legal standpoint. I mean, she's just helping uh, the cause of Christ from a, a legal standpoint. 
and uh, it's been just super helpful to us. So you can understand uh, for many uh, of the folks there who have been on the on the on the bad end of um, being a Protestant, and this is not like it's ancient history. You know, so for instance, uh, one of our friends uh, that grew up Catholic, she became a Protestant. Her parents were so like angry about it. They dragged her by her head, threw her down the stairs, put her in a mental institution, had nuns come and like witnessed her to get her head right to not be a Protestant. And you know, she's like, she didn't. She just like, so the the feeling is still there. It's still very much. Now, I got to say something very, very, I got to be very clear about this. The Catholic Church is not the enemy. And I feel very strongly about this. And when I'm mixing with in the society, when I'm going to Portugal and Spain, believe me, a lot of people I'm mixing with still see the Catholic Church as the problem or the enemy. Or, And uh, I know this can be a tricky topic because when you start discussing uh, theology and what you think is the right theology or uh, even within uh, Protestant theology, you know, you start thinking, well, I think what the Baptist thinks is not that great. You know, Methodists get a better idea, and the, and the Reformed churches, you know, whatever. We can get in, we can get pretty wound up about the truth, uh, because the Bible kind of likes us to, to know the truth. But uh, there is a big part of us where we need to also take heed of what Jesus is saying: is can we just like love our enemies, uh, and can we even not consider those that are in the faith our enemies? Because they're really not. We should have a way of grace, of dealing with people that love God, even if the expression of how they, you know, practice their faith, how they love Jesus, their form of worship, uh, their style, that should not create somebody, uh, that shouldn't make them an enemy. Uh, it, it, we may have a difference of opinion, but uh, not, not our enemy. I, I want us to look at our insert uh, where God says in Luke 6.35, if you want to just uh, track with me on that, uh, that would be uh, extremely helpful. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You see, God is saying, listen, I am kind to everybody, to those that are unthankful, and I am kind to those that are wicked. This is uh, part of God's personality. God is a God of love. Uh, so God, you know, he will send, send sunshine and rain, whether you love God or hate God. He, he, he's God's nature is one of, of love. And God has given us a time period where we're saying, okay, we are feeling very uncomfortable where we see injustice, hatred, and we keep questioning God, like, where are you in this thing? And why are you, God of love, allowing this to happen? And there's a tension within us. And the tension is sort of intended, actually, because we are desiring it to be all made right. And God is saying, we're going to do that but uh, not, not just yet. I want to uh, also talk about the flip side of this. Uh, when you've been on the receiving end of being loved, when 
you don't really deserve to be loved. Uh, it is a tremendous, um, you know, you, you just feel like forgiven or relieved or excited or uh, overwhelmed. I, I don't know what the exact uh, sense is. If you know you've really screwed up and somebody's just like forgiven you and let you off the hook, it's just like an awesome unbelievable, uh, you know, you can't say I'm thankful because you are thankful, but it's a whole lot more emotional than that. Um, in a very minor way, and this is really not a great example of it, but again, just coming out of my, my trip from Spain, I was on the receiving end of uh, radical love. Uh, and to just set this up quickly, uh, our mission in Spain is pretty simple. It's to go and start vineyard churches in Spain, run by locals in Spain and Portugal, run by Portuguese, run by Spaniards, and that they in turn would also plant churches. Pretty simple uh, strategy uh, so that everybody can get to know the love of Jesus, have life in Jesus, experience the love of Jesus in their daily life, and done through locals, not through, uh, not through us as Americans. So, you know, we're trying to empower them. And to that end, over the many years, we, we had a, a church in Seville, Sevilla, that was doing pretty well. And then the pastor kind of imploded and it really got ugly. And so, you know, I'm going out and we've invested time and energy and effort into this church and, and the thing goes belly up and it was just not good. And so our dear friends at this church were sort of at a loss because they actually really loved the vineyard. They really loved our values. We'd spent a lot of time together. They'd actually been out here. And uh, they couldn't figure out what to do. So finally, they ended up joining another church that had very similar values and uh, similar uh, style. And uh, on one of our previous trips, we went and spoke to the pastor of that trip, uh, of that church. His name's Wanjo. And uh, we were trying to encourage Wangho to become a past a vineyard church. And he was like, oh, I'm not having any of it. You know, it's like, you guys messed up here and I don't want to be a vineyard. Uh, and so it was kind of awkward. It just, it just, you know, from my standpoint, it's like, well, what have we accomplished in all of this over the years, except a lot of heartache and strife and whatever not. So uh, cut a long story short, I'm visiting the associate pastor of that church who was the associate pastor of the Vineyard Church, when it was a Vineyard Church, and I um, uh, really like him a lot, uh, Alfonso. Uh, he, Alfonso and Sothi have been here. They stayed with Fran and Janine on that time uh, when they came out. And uh, i got to tell you that before this trip, I had more prayer than I've ever received. You guys are really fantastic. I mean, people gave us unsolicited prayer. People came up to us with incredibly encouraging words. We had prophetic words. And going into this trip, I'm thinking, God, I'm feeling very, very uncomfortable. I've got no agenda. I'm going all the way to Spain. I'm going to meet with one pastor. I'm going to have tea, and then I'm going to come home. I mean, it's like, really? Am I going to spend the money? I just felt very awkward. I normally have a packed agenda, and I plan things, and I just had no agenda. So uh, I'm sitting with my friend's place. I'm sitting in his his, his uh his office, and I said, you know, I'm feeling really tired. I'm going to take a nap. Anywhere I can sleep around you. He says, yeah, just pull up that chair. So I'm sleeping in the chair. It's like, oh, this is a great missions trip. You know, I'm just <laughs> passed out in the chair. Uh, I wake up, and uh, I'm talking to him a little bit more. And he's, we're just talking, and, and this pastor walks in, Wanko. 
and Wang Ho sits down, and he, we just have like this incredible time of reconciliation, you know, which just astounded me. I mean, all I'd done is I was sleeping. I mean, I just woke up, you know, doing nothing. Uh, yet God is just doing his putting pieces together. And, and so Wang Ho says to me, he says, Rob, he says, listen, I really want you to know that my people are your people. Uh, and my church is your church. And I really want you to come and preach at our church. Anytime you hear, I want you to know that the doors are open and you're welcome to come and preach at our, at our church. And I was like, wow, this is so unbelievably warm and uh, sincere. And uh, it just felt so uh, um, freeing. You know, we're not enemies. We're trying to do the same thing in a different way. And, I'm, and I was like, how did this happen? There's no like big meetings. God just put it all together. And, and so we did. And this is his, his church. Uh, it's just outside of uh, Severe. And, uh, you know, I just know a lot of people in that church through the vineyard and actually not through the vineyard. It's just crazy how God has just linked us lives-wise with a lot of people in this church. So sometimes we do experience radical love and radical results when we least expect them. But when we do, you know, it's great for us to recognize it. You know, for me, I'm like, God, okay, these guys are our enemy. We do experience love. We can do stuff together, and God is in this, and it's pretty exciting. So uh, we just had, you know, what was really a uh, very warm and responsive uh, reception from Wanjo and the church. And I just feel going forward, my gosh, there's a lot I think we can do together. So if the first point in my uh, bulletin in point is God is kind, even to those who are unthankful or wicked, and maybe you know I should be the person there and I'm the unthankful one or the wicked one in that sort of small example. Uh, God is kind. God organized it. God came through uh, great healing and relationships. But the second point is this whole idea of anticipating you know, joy. When God returns, when Christ returns, that he's going to make things right. God has the ability to make things right. And there's something in our hearts which is saying things aren't right. Our relationships aren't right. Uh, our climate is not right. Our politics is not right. You know, if you're on the wrong end of the legal system, our legal system is not right. I mean, there's something in all of us saying things aren't actually perfect. They're not they're not right. They, they need to be made right. So Psalm 98 says this, The Lord has announced His victory and has revealed His righteousness to every nation, for He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the whole world with justice and the nations with fairness. There's something in us which is longing for that. We, we're longing for justice, for fairness, for God to get more involved, and for God to be much more active and, and obvious. And Psalm 97, going backwards in the Psalms, 11 says this, Light shines on the godly, and joy on those whose hearts are right. When our hearts are right with God, God says, I'm going to give you joy. And even if we're dealing with very difficult circumstances, God wants to have us have hearts full of joy. Uh, you know, real missionaries don't go to Spain, they go to Africa. You know, all know that. So, uh, you know, uh, no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. But many of you would not know the name Helen Rosevere. I mean, maybe John Gargan, probably the only guy here maybe knows 
Helen Roosevelt. Because, you know, if you want to be famous, don't become a pastor or a missionary. You know, become a rich person like something. But there's some like unbelievable missionaries and people which do just like incredible things. And they, when you read their stories and you hear about their lifestyle, you just, you're just in awe. And Helen uh, died at the age of 91 in 2010. And she's British. She went to uh, university. When she was in university, she uh, experienced uh, salvation. She, she received Jesus. And it was a, a life-changing experience for her. Because now she's experiencing the love of God. And at university, you, you know, they got a lot of free time. So they study and they hang out and they go to parties and then they hang out. And then I suppose they write exams occasionally. But she was like really reading the Bible. And uh, towards the end of her degree, she's like, you know, I've got a lot of head knowledge now about Jesus. But I don't have a lot of experiential knowledge of Jesus. And she said, it's all very well knowing the Bible. Uh, and she was desperate to be used by God. So she uh, is praying to God and she says, God, look, I want you to use me. And uh, then she's like plucking up the courage and she says, but, you know, I know I'm going to be really uh, nervous. And if you start using me and things are difficult, I'm going to want to quit. So she makes this deal with God. She says, God, listen, uh, if I get to that position and I'm going to quit when things get difficult, just remind me that things are going to get difficult. And I'm making a commitment to you today that I don't want to quit. And so make sure I don't quit. So uh, as a good missionary, uh, she qualifies as a medical doctor. And uh, that wasn't good enough. So she then goes and learns a few other languages, uh, French, and uh, goes and learns uh, Dutch. And so she goes to the Congo uh, as a missionary, as a medical missionary. And she's out in the Congo and she's setting up, you know, uh, medical uh, hospitals and, and helping, serving people in a very practical, loving, medical way. Uh, also doing, leading people to the Lord, talking about the Bible. Now she's fluent in the local dialect. But as has happened in so many places in Africa, uh, the government changed hands. They, it was, Congo was owned by Belgium. And after Belgium, um, after Congo got its independence, the thing that tends to always happen is you have civil war. And when you have civil war, man, it's always ugly. Civil war is just never a pretty sight. And so uh, the civil war breaks out. And uh, Helen is, uh, is captured. Uh, she finally tries to escape. And in trying to escape, uh, she gets caught. She gets beaten up really, really badly. Uh, she ends up getting raped. Uh, she gets terribly mistreated. And in this ordeal, she says to God, like, God, where are you? You know, here I am. I'm suffering. And I've never felt so distant from you in all my life. I mean, I don't experience your love. I don't sense your presence. I don't, I don't, I'm like, where are you? I'm like really suffering. And, uh, and then... She feels the still, quiet voice from God saying, Helen, remember, you said when things go di get difficult, not to, like, withdraw. And so she's like, oh my gosh, I did make that commitment to you. And now she's starting to feel the presence of God. And uh, she feels like Jesus says to her, will you lend me your body? 
And can you experience my suffering? And she's like, oh my gosh. Now she's getting a, a level of comfort. But she's also learning to love God in a whole different way. A much, much more profound and deep way. She says, I'm getting the privilege of experiencing the suffering of Christ. So her whole message after this whole ordeal, she said it again and again. She phrased it this way. God never uses a person greatly until he has wounded him deeply. The privilege he offers you is greater than the price you have to pay. The privilege is greater than the price. So her whole message afterwards was, it's such a privilege to know Christ. The price you have to pay is so small in, you know, in comparison to the incredible love that we experience in God. Now, it's one thing to just say this, but you and I experience this as well on a personal level. There's times when God just comes through in our lives and we just say, oh, it is so rich to be a follower of Jesus. It's so rich when God comes through in a personal way in our lives. And then all of a sudden, all the trouble that we've gone through doesn't seem that problematic. But it's equally true that we all experience times when we're in trouble and God just seems very distant. And we just need each other to help us to get through those really, really difficult times. Now, I, I want to finish on a more sort of upbeat note because not everybody wants to be a missionary to Africa and have to deal with a whole bunch of trials and troubles. You know, it's like, yeah, we've got enough trials and troubles in our own, in our own lives. But I want to talk about God's radical love. And at the expense of being a little um, self-serving or uh, talking about myself, uh, I want to share another experience in Spain. Uh, but with the idea of this, I always want, uh, and I talk about the need for us to experience God or our need to hear from God. I also understand that in our own minds, when we think about how do we hear from God or how do we experience God, especially for people that are new to faith, they're like, what does that look like? How do you, you know, is it, does it mean you have to shake? Does it mean that you're like overpowered by God's like, you know, whatever? How do you, how do you know you've experienced God's love? So with, with that as an idea, I just want to share my story of experiencing God's radical love for me on this trip. So it starts off this way. We at Life Group and Rocco uh, is singing a song, 10,000 Reasons. And we, uh, yeah, we at your place, and, and, and I'm just like, I don't know why Rocco did an awesome job. I was experiencing, like I was connecting with God. I was like, I love this song. I, it, was just, it was just powerful. And I remember saying it at the group. It was like really powerful. Well, I didn't think anything of it, but then I met my other group, the Snow's Place. On, so this group was on Thursday night at the Roland's house. And then on Sunday night, I met the Snow's house, and Joe Cooley is leading worship, and he does the exact same song. And I'm thinking, what are the chances of that? And so I'm, I'm like, God, is this just like a coincidence? And like, is there some deeper meaning to this? I'm not that, I'm not that smart. So I'm like, I don't know what this means. It's just, it's just awesome, whatever. So I don't give any thought. I don't, just moving on. I'm in Spain, and uh, we're towards the end of the trip, and we've just had an unbelievable time in Spain. where we've, I've just seen God's power, God's love, God move, God knit things together that were like far apart. And I feel this huge 
need to want to just take the time and give God thanks. And so we're in this town of Asuna, and Liz wants to go walk around the town, and I'm just feeling, Lord, I, I just want to take the whole morning, and I just want to sit here, and I want to give you thanks. And so I do. And, it, and I ended up spending like, when I looked at the clock, it was like four or five hours. I was totally shocked. I honestly thought I was spending like 20 minutes. I was writing things down. Only what God had done on this trip. And so uh, at the end of this time, I just wanted to read uh, a little from my Bible. So I do, and I pick up Psalm 92. I just happen to be at Psalm 92. And Psalm 92 goes this way. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening. Now, it didn't take a rocket scientist. I'm not a songwriter, I, but 10,000 reasons. Put that song up there for me, if you would. If you can read this, here's what the, second, here's what the verse says. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Okay, let me go back to the psalm. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It's good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening. And I fall upon this and I'm like, this is really crazy. Here's the crazy thing. When I heard this song, I took this song with me to Spain. And I'm sitting in my room and I'm not much of a musician. Believe me, you guys know I can't sing to save my life. And I'm singing this song. And then I read this psalm. And I'm like, wow, I've never taken a song with me on any mission trip ever. I don't have any songs anywhere. I'm just like not musical. And I'm like, God, you, you're doing something. So I think, well, that's neat. I'm experiencing God. I'm experiencing God's love. God's talking to me. He's communicating to me through the word. I'm feeling hugely lifted up. I'm feeling really energized. I don't think anything more of it. It's like, that's that. Cool. Nice. Thanks, Jesus. That was a good time with the Lord. I was, I'm feeling very fulfilled and lifted up and encouraged and I don't have to tell anybody about it. It's just awesome. So our friend from Osuna says to us, hey, how about we go and uh, we do lunch together and after lunch I'm going to take you out of the mountains. And so we do. So we go to the mountains and I've got another picture here. Uh, we're standing in the olive grove and uh, Liz loves to watch the sunset. So he says, this way we'll watch the sunset. We'll stand in the olive grove and the sun is setting over Andalusia towards uh, Seville, Sevilla. And while we're standing there, he says, um, Rob, can you, can you pray and can you sing a song for us? Now, this is so funny. I mean, like, I don't sing at all. You know, it's like, it's the funniest thing. So, of course, I'm, I'm like, I've just had this awesome experience with God. I, I said, you know, I, I got this song. I didn't have, actually, I didn't have it on me. I, I had it on my phone. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And I just start singing. And um, it's like really a poor rendition. And then he says to me, you know, my brother is a professional flamenco singer. And I'm like, yeah, this wasn't very professional, was it? And they say, hey, we're just having a good old time. And we, we, we pray. And I, I don't think anything of it either. It's like, wow, that was neat. You know, God just kind of using me, speaking to me, encouraging me. We get back to the States and my friend phones, uh, WhatsApps me. And he says, Rob, can you send me that song, uh, the words for that song? And he's the teacher at a Catholic church, I mean, a Catholic school in Osuna. And they're doing the 125th uh, anniversary. He said, I'm doing the presentation and I want to use that song. And I'm thinking, whoa, what's the chance of all that coming together? You know, God is just like doing something really, 
really cool. I mean, I don't know what the huge significance is, but believe me, there's not too many Catholic schools that are singing 10,000 reasons and praising God in this way. And, and I'm really feeling like a real connection to my Catholic friend uh, in the town of Asuna. And uh, as we talking, you say, his name is Antonio. Antonio, God is doing something. This guy's got more sensitivity to the Holy Spirit than most people I know. And I say, Antonio, you know, what do you think the chances are that we do a marriage retreat right here in Osuna? And he said, ah. And then we talk about what that is and how to be. And he's like, yeah, I think this would be really good, Rob. This would be so, you know, God just started opening doors for us. God was revealing his incredible love for us, uh, his sense of the kingdom advancing, uh, getting favor with people that typically we wouldn't even have favor with. Uh, all that to say, God's love is radical. And God's radical results depend on our ability to just hang in and connect with the radical love of God. Uh, the thing I learned from this trip more than anything was this weird dependence on God <clears throat> Where it's his agenda, not mine. And so, uh, you know, I want to just close uh, this way. I would love us all to experience God's radical love. And even if it is, in the total contrast that, you know, we battling with loving our enemies or tension in our families or wanting to be forgiven or battling to forgive somebody else, uh, we hate this, this tension. And yet God is saying he desires us to not have tension, but uh, to love each other and forgive each other, starting with the church family and our own relational families, that we can experience this incredible freedom and radical love of God. Uh, and the results, we just leave up to God, whatever those results are. But when we forgive, when we love, when we connect, the results are just always awesome. So God, I just uh, lift up your people and Lord, I just say, if we can hear your voice, if we can be in tune with what it is that you're saying to each one of us personally, and if we can have the boldness, Lord, to respond to what it is that you're asking us, Lord, things go so well. So Lord, I just say, speak. Let us hear your words. Speak to us through your word, the Bible. Encourage us, Lord. Give us the boldness to do the things you're asking us to do. And Lord, I just thank you that you love us, that you're with us, that you have a plan for each one of our lives. And Lord, I just thank you that you delight when we praise you, when we sing to you, when we express our joy to you, that in doing so, Lord, you speak to us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we have the worship team come up and then we'll have communion and uh, I'll close out with communion.